I'm Maya Brown, and this is Stories from the Brink. This podcast is about giving voice to personal stories of overcoming challenges in life with grace and humor. Because stories bring us together, and together we all win. Today's episode is about a health challenge that my college roommate, Shirley Thompson Marshall, has been dealing with over the past year with her son, Solomon, and her husband, Steve. Shirley is an associate professor of American studies and studies of the African diaspora at the University of Texas at Austin. So, so what's been going on with you? What's been going on? Well, um, COVID, like everyone else, but on top of that, several different health challenges that started way before COVID in my family. So from about 2016 on, my little nuclear family and my birth family just got hit with crisis after crisis. My father became ill in uh, actually back in 2013, but his illness really accelerated um, starting in 2015, 2016, and which wasn't unexpected. You know, he was in his late 80s, uh, early 90s. Um, So, you know, that wasn't a, a surprise at all. Um, But what was a surprise is that in the middle of that, my husband got cancer, was diagnosed with cancer, and we thought it was sort of a quick fix sort of thing. But then um, a couple months later, he found out it had spread to his lymph nodes and he would have to go and undergo a more extensive treatment. Um, So that happened in 2016 into 2017, his treatment ended, started in January and ended in June. And then the next month, my father passed away. So, you know, I was still sort of dealing with the the sort of repercussions of that. When last year, my 14-year-old son was diagnosed with a rare sarcoma. And that just sank me, (laughs) if you can imagine. Um, Yes, I can. And this is a kid who is like normally the picture of health, even during his diagnosis and treatment, you know, his doctors were like, oh, good thing he's a healthy kid. I'm like, healthy? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Then why is he undergoing this, you know, really radical treatment? But he's a, you know, he's a a top basketball player um, in the city, um, you know, sort of on on an elite travel team. Um, So he's super athletic, you know, just a, a healthy kid. And he was doing so well in all different areas. Um, you know, when, when his diagnosis hit, he had finally turned the corner after some middle school rambunctiousness, <laughs> which I'm told is normal, but it felt crazy um, for a few years there. Um, and he was, he was sort of equalizing. He was normalizing. Uh, he was doing well in school. And then, you know, doing well in basketball. He had made um, varsity as a freshman. And about a week into the basketball season, he had to stop everything and have a radical surgery, um, which you were there for. Um, Thanks for (laughs) coming and sitting with us during that 12-hour surgery. Are you kidding me? Uh, Where else was I going to (laughs) be? That was, you know, that was epic. Um, That was crazy. And then the recovery was six weeks long in the hospital, six weeks of not just him recovering, but us learning how to care for him. We had to, he had a tracheostomy um, placed and 
Um, we had to learn how to take care of it, uh, which took a while um, in the hospital. He had a feeding tube. He was on several medications and he was gearing up to get ready for chemo, seven courses of chemo, seven rounds, um, which happened over the course of um, February, from February to June, 2020. And you know what happened in the middle of the spring last year, <laughs> um, COVID hit. So we're in the middle of cancer treatment. And he also had 31 doses of radiation to undergo. We relocated uh, for the radiation. Um, so we went to Houston. We were living in the Ronald McDonald house, which is adjacent to the hospital. So we could, you know, sort of be close by and, you know, and that sounded like a great idea at first because we were going to be with families who are going through similar stuff. And it was, you know, it seemed like a lot of support was available. Um, but then COVID turned it into kind of a nightmare and we were trying to, uh, you know, keep ourselves safe and, um, you know, keep ourselves socially distanced from other families in the common areas, common kitchen and, and everything in this, in this, uh, in the Ronald McDonald house. So we basically, you know, sort of confined ourselves to a single room. It was like a double hotel room. Um, you know, the three of us with Solomon's, you know, kind of going in and out of the hospital for about uh, six weeks uh, before we could come back to Austin and finish up his treatment. You know, on top of COVID, which itself was stressful, especially in a state like Texas where, you know, all the different levels of leadership are conflicting with one another <laughs> and there's no clear uh, plan uh, for how we should get through something like this. Mixed messages, um, we had uh, cancer on top of that cancer treatment. And it was, it was exhausting. It was just a really tough year. Um, so when everyone else went into lockdown and into this sort of like weird liminal space on the brink, as you say, <laughs> you know, um, in March, we had been there, you know, since late November. And what happened in March just sort of intensified everything. So surely, I mean, first of all, wow. Even though I already know this story, just hearing it, hearing it again, like it's just so large what happened to you over the past few years. And I just want to say that I am so sorry. And also I'm so grateful that you're here and that you're smiling and laughing and we're talking and I'm wondering how that happened. Well, first of all, I mean, Solomon came through his treatment really well. Yes. Uh, so at each stage, there was something to be hopeful about, um, you know, even after the radical surgery and he didn't know if he could eat or um, talk. Um, he um, very quickly after about a week of seeming really depressed sort of began to come out of his shell um, and interact with and joke around with the nurses. And he was beginning to act like his usual, you know, kind of jokester self. Um, and that gave me a lot of, of hope. That sort of like, you know, um, it took the edge off for us and for me. All his scans to date have been clear. 
Um, he has another scan on um, next Friday. Um, right. So I'm a, I'm a little nervous about that, but um, understandably to think that um, anything's going on. Um, uh, so he's been playing basketball. He made uh, varsity again. Um, and he's oh, really shocking. <laughs> so that, you know, his, his um, recovery has been um, one of the things that's kept my spirits up. Um, right. But also, and this, I mean, I'm really grateful that I have a job that is flexible and that um, I had accumulated a lot of uh, sick leave <laughs> and I had um, earned a fellowship um, that I was on while all this happened. And while it's sort of a bummer for my fellowship, it meant that um, I had time away from teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and then my chair sort of stepped in and sort of uh, sheltered me from a lot of administrative tasks and um, and gave us the time and space to, to sort of deal with what was going on with Solomon. And I say I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I realize that not everyone has that, is, is that fortunate um, no. because I think one of the ways I got through this was to be very present um, for what was happening and to be open to the terrible feelings as well as the, you know, the sort of hopefulness. It's a, it's a kind of um, like going through something like that is, is really emotionally taxing and all the emotions hit at the same time. Um, you know, there are things to be happy about, things to be fearful of their things to be angry about and you know on any, any given day I'm just cycling through this you know these these feelings and so being present meant you know sort of really sort of opening myself up to that chaos um, and trying to sort of identify and and feel and think through and and give myself space to to feel all that stuff and it, it was, you know, it was really difficult, but because I had that time, um, I was able to to do that. Um, and and I, I mean, I'm still doing that. I mean, I, I still, I mean, this whole journey, um, just starting with my father's illness has expanded my capacities. Um, that, mm -hmm. That's been one effect of mm -hmm. it, which I'm, I'm grateful for. You know, on one level, I wish that like I could, have limited capacities and just be happy and everyone be healthy and, <laughs> and just <laughs> continue to take the blue pill or whatever and live in the right. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. But, um, you know, with my father's passing um, and our, you know, our parents are aging, we're yeah. becoming like the top tier adults. Right. So that means that <laughs> we have to step into. Do they, the do they know who we are? I know, how could like, we be the grown-ups? I mean, how geez. are they letting this happen? Right? I don't know. Somebody is definitely out to lunch. Anyway. Uh, I mean, you know, there's no backstop, you know, other than, you know, God or, you know, higher power, um, if that's what you believe in. I, I mean, I know I'm a, yeah. I'm a spiritual religious person. I'm not fundamentalist, but, um, you know, my faith is very important to me. And, um, you know, being a top tier adult <laughs> in this way, <laughs> into that, you know, sort of position where I have all these responsibilities, um, 
you know, having faith to kind of rely on and lean on is, is really important. I think a lot of people our age struggle with the idea of faith. And you said something really interesting. You said that you, you're not fundamentalist, but you're spiritual. What does that mean? Like how, how did you make, how did you come to the, that decision? I think part of it is um, sort of growing up as my father is a, a minister, um, a Presbyterian minister kind of trained in the mold of liberal theologians of the mid 20th century in the aftermath of World War II. So people who, you know, kind of insisted on faith, but realized that faith was difficult in a, you know, in a world that was falling apart. Um, and so the practice of faith was to just radically question it, but at the end of the day, sort of take that leap of faith and surrender to the fact that you're not in control of everything. Um, there's something else, someone else, some other force driving the, you know, the car, <laughs> right? Jesus, take the wheel, <laughs> right? As they say. So your dad is a precursor to Elon Musk? No. <laughs> that was a joke. That, fact, it, was a really, it was a really nerdy joke, but it was fact, a joke. He's such a Luddite. Um, <laughs> that, like, he wouldn't even know how to respond to that. Um, <laughs> I know. But, um, Wait, let me ask you something. So your dad, um, I remember um, meeting your dad and um, how friendly and warm and kind he was. He was just, he was a wonderful man. Um, and you told me when I saw you last that you'd found a prayer that he wrote that really helped you um, get through some of this time. Do you, would you mind sharing that prayer with us? Yeah. Um, so uh, in the final days um, of his life, um, yeah, I was sort of scrambling around trying to find something that would give him some comfort. Um, and so I found one of his Bibles. Um, there was an index card with this prayer written on it. Um, and I read it and it was comforting in that situation. But also after he passed away, I realized it was like such a comfort for me too. Um, and so it goes like this. Um, Free us, O Lord, from the ticking of the clock and the turning of the calendar. Slow the pounding of our, our hearts and the quivering of our senses. Calm us with the knowledge that a thousand years in your sight is but as yesterday when it is gone. Set eternity in our hearts so that we may always be yearning for your presence and trying to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. It's it sort of, it's kind of like COVID time in a way. It kind of stops, it, it, it takes you out of the rat race yeah. um, and the anxiety of time moving and, and all the loss that comes along with that, you know, mm -hmm. experiencing things just sort of falling away. And um, focus needs to you on the present, but also on the fact that time is a long stretch, it's a long expanse, and that um, the things that happen always happened. <laughs> um, and you can't take that away, away from us, right? So we can lose people um, through death or whatever, um, but the love that 
we shared with those people is something that continues. It's something that happened and, and always happens. If you could talk to yourself now, like if you could talk to Shirley uh, December of 2019, what would you say to her? I would say, keep your eyes open. Keep searching for reason to hope. And it's funny, in December 19, I was, I was thinking, I wish I could talk to my dad. I wish he were here because he would, he would tell me, he would help, help me figure out what to do. Right. Um, and as I was you know, sort of feeling that, I, I realized that he had already told me what I needed to know. Um, when I, we were little, my sister, um, when she was born, uh, she was born very prematurely and had a 50-50 chance of living. My mo- mother was in the hospital. I didn't know she that. was touch and go. And my dad was taking care of us. And he was at his wits end and he had called his father, who was also a minister, <laughs> um, and asked him what to do. And his father said, there's nothing to do but pray um, and, and practice that kind of hard faith. And I remember my dad telling that story over the years. And I realized back in December that that's what I needed to do. I needed to kind of open myself up to the possibility of grace um, and, and look for um, moments of hope, even, you know, as the we were going through the worst moments of not knowing what was going on with Solomon. Wow. Um, and so I did that. And I, I leaned on some mantras too. Like I, I sort of, and I did this when, when Steve was sick too in, in the hospital. Um, and it might sound silly, it, it's sort oh. of like Stuart Smalley-ish, you know, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough. Gosh darn it, people love me. Stop <laughs> it. But um, I want to hear the mantras. The mantras really helped. One of the things um, is, a, is a short line from, um, from the Bible, from Romans 12, 12, that I saw actually em- embroidered on um, this bag in the MD Anderson um, Cancer Hospital gift shop um, when I was there with Steve. And the, the, the um, verse was, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, be constant in prayer. And I was like, wow, if I could do all those three things at the same time, <laughs> like suffer, but have hope and, you know, sort of pray about it, then I can get to the next moment or the next day or the next, you know, next week. So that was one mantra that like has always been kind of like important to me. The other comes from, and you're going to laugh at this. <laughs> um, remember that TV show, Friday Night Lights? football like drama yes the tagline for that clear eyes full hearts can't lose um (laughs) i love you shirley thompson i love you that is that is awesome and it gave me something physical to kind of tap into i was like okay make sure your eyes are clear make sure your heart is full now i can't lose (laughs) (laughs) so that like you know it seems silly to me at the time it still does but you know that kind of meathead football you know kind of mantra whatever works man yeah 
you know, it worked. It, it worked. Yeah. I think it worked, you know, it worked. <laughs> it I also so remember seeing one day on Facebook that you had made this checklist for yourself. Do you remember? That? No, tell you me. So you had, you, it was really cute. You took a picture of a piece of paper. It was like a piece of like lined paper and it had a list of things. And one of them was get your heart rate up. The other one was like, talk to an actual live person. Oh yeah. It was like, I was like, wow, that is so necessary. Yeah. I didn't make it for myself. I just passed along the meme, but I think everything on there, I was like, yeah, I have to keep reminding myself. Like, yeah. Reach outside of yourself, you Mm -hmm. know, make some sort of connection with someone um, and outside of yourself means outside of your house, like right. not people in your house who you're like, you know, kind of stewing in this craziness with right. someone. <laughs> somebody somewhere else. Somebody, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere else. And yeah, get your heart rate up, you know, do something active, um, mm-hmm. you know, get those endorphins going. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been key too, for me, you know, this, yeah. these past years, um, if not, you know, kind of working out at a gym like I had been doing pre-COVID, just going on walks. Like I've been like walking again, you know, aimlessly and not just walking, but um, also listening to um, the Instagram DJ sets um, while I've been walking. Who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? I listen to D-Nice like everyone else. (laughs) Um, Also like one of my favorite DJs now is Ninth Wonder. uh, Oh yeah, yeah. Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also a black studies professor um but his um just generosity with um with the music has been um unparalleled also you know d nice's generosity is you know well documented and celebrated mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but you know artists who have given of themselves in this way and have invited themselves but invited us into their um homes into their spaces of creativity have been a lifeline to me. Um, I remember when um, club quarantine first got started, um, I was sitting in the MD Anderson Children's Cancer Hospital um, in Solomon's treatment room um, and everything was on lockdown. And so, I mean, you may not sort of think of it, but cancer hosp- children's cancer hospitals are not super depressing places normally. Um, because there were all these activities, you know, just sort of people, you know, kind of, you know, sort of helping kids cope. And it's, it's not depressing. Um, There are a lot of, there are a lot of things going on, music therapy, art therapy, you know, people in superhero costumes, like coming through. (laughs) Uh, There's a basketball court at MD Anderson. and Dell Children's, um, you know, Solomon, while he was in the hospital, it, he was actually having fun interacting with nurses and staff. And, you know, it was, it was kind of a special time. But COVID sort of closed down a lot of that, a lot of that stuff. Um, and so I was sitting in the cancer hospital and it was dark and nothing was going on except, you know, chemicals being pumped into my child. And and Steve wasn't even there because there was one parent per patient. And I got on Instagram and people were in club quarantine. And so I tuned in and 
it was D nice just spinning all these hits from the seventies and eighties. And, and I, it was just like, the music just lifted me up like nothing, you know, I'd expected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was dancing around the hospital room. <laughs> like, oh, so great. So, you know, that, that's been kind of a constant, I mean, music and art and, you know, sort of poetry, all that, you know, has been really not just useful, but necessary and um, indispensable. So like, do you think that you've spent more time listening to music and appreciating art and stuff than normal during this period? Absolutely. I mean, I read a lot of fiction normally. I, I read a fair amount of poetry. I try to go to museums and galleries, you know, whenever. Um, but sometimes it feels sort of like I'm in my head about it. Like it's very cerebral mm-hmm. um, experience. But in the past year, it's been, you know, kind of more visceral. Like, oh, okay. Like I really connect with this artist on a level that, you know, kind of bypasses the brain and goes right to the heart. Wow, that's wonderful. So it's really, it's sort of changed your experience of the art. Yeah, yeah. And I get why people turn to music and art in times of Mm -hmm. struggle now. That's a really beautiful thing that you just said because music and art bring people together. I think, you know, music and art are things that transcend language and other kinds of divisions between people. And we can all relate to that. And um, that's exactly what I'm hopeful we'll be able to accomplish with this podcast is to bring people together in ways that transcend. I love the the idea of storytelling too. Um, Storytelling rather than interviews um, Mm -hmm. because it's a lost art because um, people don't have the time. I mean, all of a sudden we have the time, right? We We do now. (laughs) (laughs) Telling a good story takes a lot of time. I, you know, I don't really consider myself a great storyteller, but I, I was raised by, my dad was a, a fantastic storyteller. <laughs> um, and that. he made, you know, sort of different times, different eras, different moral sensibilities just come alive. Um, mm-hmm. His recounting of, you know, past events, um, stories from his life. Mm-hmm. Um my grandparents were great storytellers. Um, you know, I'm from the South. <laughs> we tell stories. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, we, we type things into a, a text um, or we post on, you know, whatever, um, you know, kind of highly you know, kind of posed picture on Instagram or, you know, we, we do all these things, but stories let us let our guard down a little bit more than these other forms of, um, of media that we have now and, um, mm-hmm. and really help, help us through. And I also think it's, there's something about hearing someone tell a story. Mm-hmm. Like just hearing your voice while you're talking about what happened with Solomon and it just communicates to me on so many more levels. Someone who'd never met you before could listen to you talking, telling your story and would feel something. 
that they wouldn't feel if they just read it on a page. You know, that's a great great point. I hadn't thought about that um, before, but there's something about the voice. Um, You're right. I don't know if it's that the the vibration like goes through your body that you actually feel something. It's not just, it's, it's multidimensional. Wow, man. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for taking the time and the emotional risk and everything of telling, of telling your story. That was really, wow. You know, as you can tell, it's still kind of traumatic um, to hear, you know, kind of recount this. I know. That was really brave. I've known you for so long. Yeah. Friends, I, I trust you so much, and um, oh, I trust you. Would want to tell it publicly with you know with anyone else. I really appreciate you taking a leap of faith, <laughs> be part of stories from the brink, and um, you know, and taking part in giving voice to a personal story about a challenge that you overcame with grace and humor, and you did. Thanks. Thank you all for joining the conversation today. Remember, stay present and share your story. Stories bring us together, and together we all win. Stories from the Brink is produced by Billy Robinson, hosted by me, Maya Brown, music by Octopus Kid. Octopus Kid.